Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. Today we welcome Connor Whalen, director of the acclaimed short film Snowfall. Welcome once again to the Squiggly Podcast, our first of May. I'm Ben Mitchell, and this other chap is Steve Henderson. Hello. Hello, that is me. How are you, Ben? I'm well. I'm fighting fit. We're back from our recent sojourns. We were at the uh, Cardiff Independent Film Festival not that long ago, and uh, I'm just back from the Stuttgart Animation Festival. Uh, won't be long until Annecy, I dare say. It's a festival fever. It is. It's that wonderful time of year, isn't it? But yes, Cardiff was... Uh, Lots of fun, I have to say. The first uh, animation strand was part of the Cardiff Independent Film Festival. The atmosphere was really, really positive. You know, it was buzzing. And I got the impression it wasn't just friends showing support, although that was a big part of it. There was quite a lot of people sort of making the trek. And certainly kind of the impression I got over social media, like on the Sunday with Ben especially, like people were really, really excited about it. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a strong future for the uh, Cardiff Animation Night's next venture, should it be part of this film festival, or maybe a film festival of their own. We shall wait and see. Yeah, as I, I'm sure you agree, I, well, I know that you agree, we've, we've said as much plenty of times, the more animation festivals, the merrier. Absolutely. And on that note, Manchester Animation Festival will return this year. It certainly will, with a, with a bang. And that was also tremendous fun uh, last year, its first edition. Exciting times. Are you mm-hmm. excited for it? I am, yeah. With, uh, we're we're going to be on on the uh, 15th, 16th and 17th of November. Uh, so if everyone wants to get their diaries out, scribble out all the sort of birthdays and weddings and whatever else is in there and, and, and write the most important thing, which is Manchester Animation Festival. Um, we have, uh, we've launched our call for entries uh, and we've announced our first guests, Peter Lord and uh, David Sproxton from Ardman will be coming up to help celebrate their 40 years. Uh, they're, uh, they're doing the rounds this year, <laughs> mm. uh, Peter and, uh, and David, to, uh, to celebrate the 40 years of Ardman. So it'd be great to have them up there. And we've got loads of other guests and uh, stuff uh, lined up, shall we say, and we're working on the programme. So it's going to be another uh, bumpy year, hopefully. Little ways away yet, but the call for entries, I believe, is open already, yes? Mm. So if you've got a film, head over to manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. Yeah. And I expect you will uh, learn more about what to do there. It's free to enter as well, so that's good as well. We've also launched um, uh, Industry Excellence Awards, which... Mm -hmm. uh, So the Manchester Animation Festival Industry Excellence Awards. We've called them Industry Excellence because if we called them Industry Awards, it would say Manchester Animation Festival Industry Awards, it would stand for Mafia, and that's not quite the uh, <laughs> not quite the image we want to give. <laughs> so, industry excellence, and it is celebrating excellence, really. So it's uh, an award that, we've, uh, that we're have that we going to put together and, um, and, and give to the individuals as opposed to the films, because uh, film festivals uh, uh, give away awards to, to films and directors. So this year... As with last year, we got award for short film, student film, uh, and commissioned work. So that will go to the film and be picked up by the director. But we figured it nice, might be nice to pay some attention to the guys working behind the scenes on commissioned projects like television series and interstitials and explainers and internet stuff. So writers, storyboard artists, 
and character animators. So if you know anyone who's uh, worked on, or if you are indeed somebody who's worked on a commissioned uh, project, so not your own, nor a student film, nor a short film, so if you worked on it for somebody else as part of a bigger project, and you'd like to enter as a writer, as a storyboard artist, as a uh, character animator, uh, we'd like to shine a little bit of spotlight on uh, on those guys. That's very considerate. Well, that's what we're that's what we're here for. I mean, if you're going to do an animation festival, you got to you got to celebrate animation, haven't you? Animation and all the little worker bees mm-hmm. that uh, buzz around and, and put these things together. There's more of them than one might think. Yeah. So going back to Cardiff, Cardiff was sort of a mix, I think, of for me at least, kind of new and old. Not old, but films that I think that uh, being as active on the old circuit as we find ourselves, we'd seen quite a few of them mixed in with a few ones that were certainly new on me, which mm-hmm. is always nice. Did you have any particular standout films? Of, uh... As you say, it was there was a few there was a few golden oldies, the last uh, of films that have been around for a, at least a, a year or so, which was nice to see. Um, they picked some good ones in that regard. You know, I don't mind seeing films like After the End. Uh, that grows on me every time I watch it. Quite a daft film in a, in its in its way. What about yourself? Were there any of the the, the kind of ones that you'd seen before, which uh, you'd seen again after maybe a, a break in festivals and and a change your opinion, or it was nice to see again, Ben? Well, it was certainly nice to see um, Snowfall again. Uh, we'll obviously get back to that in a minute. Mm. Um, I thought I'd uh, save that one. Well, I I, I blew it. <laughs> uh, man, oh man. I could watch a hundred more times, mm-hmm. I'm sure, before it starts to get old. And um, uh, The Meek was part of the panorama. It's a very enjoyable film. And uh, we have an interview with the director, Joe Brum, up on Squiggly, if you want to give that a little search out. It's a really nice little tale of uh, codependence and cigarettes. And Baths, which I think I'd seen at Encounters, that was a nicely done film visually. And quite a lot of the films I felt... Uh, that they showed in Cardiff, were very visually strong. Mm. Sometimes, perhaps, foregoing much by way of an engaging story. There are certain films where you you could absolutely not fault the technical execution of the visuals. And, you know, some were very inspiring. I thought that, you know, some with particularly nice uh, uses of colour. For example, um, Olilo, I think it was called. Very nice colours, very nice sort of 90s almost approach to the um, the environments and the backgrounds. That was one with the girl with the big Popeye arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she's been uh, hitting the old free weights. <laughs> that was one with the, the introvert. Uh, she's kind of surrounded by a, a square of her own kind of little protective square. Mm. Uh, and she meets uh, a man surrounded by a protective circle. And it's uh, that's quite nice. I, I enjoyed that one. Sort of a, a touch of, uh, but milk is important. Mm. Remember the uh, yeah. little manifestations of their, their issues. Mm-hmm. The film that I think we've both seen a few times is that Evanescent, which is a very on-point study of, you know, the animation of people like, I, I believe, like Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli and that kind of thing. It's, it's a very well-observed film in that respect. It's packed full of that, isn't it? But it feels almost like a trailer for a film. It does. It feels like a trailer, but it also, as a film, it feels unfinished. It just kind of tails off at the end. You go. Through, it's as if we're going through the seasons and we don't quite make it to winter. Mm, good point. It's a good simile. <laughs> and the, the music I wasn't too crazy about on that one. 
Well, I, I, I'm being polite. The music in that film made me want to destroy every piano <laughs> that's ever been made. Um, no, no, no slight on the director. No, I mean, um, a very well accomplished animator and, uh, you know, visual artist. So that, that that's a really nice put together uh, piece of work. But I agree with you with the music. It's something that affected a few of the films, not just this particular one, but a fair few of the films did that thing that, they just use a few chords on the guitar or a few dings on the piano mm. and that's the whole soundtrack and it gets very annoying doesn't it it gets you know there's no kind of expression there's some musicians out there who are laughing at animators <laughs> yeah i'll do your music for you well, let's just let's get the old uh, let's dust the old three chords off and uh, send it across there you go job well done oh the film we were a little uh, we were a little late in cuz um uh, i really enjoyed the venue but they take half an hour to make a sandwich. So <laughs> we, we missed the beginning of, uh, I think the first film was Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what I saw of that one, I actually did go back and watch it from the beginning. I, I liked that. That was a very easy ride to go along with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's sort of assortment of uh, music videos and CG uh, visual spectacles, which... Um, well, the atmosphere, the, the, the Canadian film, uh, uh, Robin Tremblay... Wow. Uh, that just looked like it reminded me. Uh, I, I wasn't keen on it. I was I was impressed by it as a, like you say as a visual um, point of view, but it didn't feel like a festival film. Uh, it, it seemed to me like you know when you go to a cinema and they tell you that they're using a particular sound system by putting on an impressive three D graphic or that you're wearing. Yeah, t- 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 it it looked like that. It looked like THX or something. Which is, I've I've found that that some people, especially people who work in CGI they found that's a good outlet for like a student film is Mm. like they've been able to get it picked up by like TV companies or showrooms or department stores as something that they'll play on like the, the show TVs. But yeah, again, you can't really sort of fault the technical, you know, execution of it. It just, um, Oh, not one job. And yet, you know, sometimes you really don't need a story. I adored as I'm sure this will come as no surprise. Oh, what was it called? Dying in space. Oh, Death in Space, Death in space. Uh, Thomas Lucas. Yeah. Like, less than a minute long, but I would sort of defy anyone to not enjoy something like that, because yeah. it's just, you know. He's not put a lot of that online. He's, yeah, I, I, I tried to find out a bit more about it and get some pictures and such, such, but he's not put any of it online. But when it does come online, I think it's something that we'll probably shout about on Facebook and Twitter on, on Squiggly, because mm-hmm. it is just a, it's just a riot, isn't it? Yeah. Just 40 or so seconds of of uh, just this killing spree or these inventive ways of dying. And he, he has a real, uh, he, he tries a different illustrative style with each each one, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, different comic book style with each each of the, the deaths. Yeah, I, was, I was surprised that it was the same artist, actually. Mm. Not hugely, because I've, you know, I, I know that it's completely possible for people to do different styles of animation. But it almost felt like something where he got like a put a call out to people maybe on Twitter or something, mm. like do a like a loop de loop kind of thing. Do a two seconds of animation, and I'll put it into a film. But no, I guess it was all him. Yeah, good stuff, funny stuff. We're a little bit like um, that things you better not mix up. The yes, Juice uh, Luima film. Yeah, it was a very sort of fast paced little sort of skits and vignettes and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, he could he could go uh, and do more like this. I'd like to see one with cowboys next. There you go, there you go, Thomas. That'll keep you busy. <laughs> um, on the same program that was on the um, animation competition screening two. Did you see? Or what did you make of rather um, Cage? 
there were sort of elements of it that sort of, you know, I'd kind of think prep pan in one moment and then prep tender in another moment. And then I'm sure there's another prep somewhere. That... <laughs> prep stick. Yeah. One of Estonia's finest. <laughs> His work really holds together. Ba da ba ba da boo. Aye. Uh, kill me. So. <laughs> Yeah, that was a, that was a, I think more prit pun, like a little bit of uh, hotel y about it. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah, I see that. Not hugely, but like you the know, kind of yeah, we're gonna do this now. I'm doing it for me. I mean, there's some again very well done animation, the actual sort of like dance sequence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Things that are using reference material quite effectively. One of the films in the uh, in the early showcase that uh, that stood out for me was Islanders Rest, which I'd never seen before. Was it was it on at Annecy last year or has it, have you seen it screening anywhere else? That was the the black and white one. Very atmospheric about a kid who walks up to um I suppose his grandmother's house uh, and delivers uh, bottles of booze to her and she puts ships in bottles in them. It was uh, that was at Encounters last year. Mm. That was when it was interesting because it seemed awfully familiar. And then uh, I was I was asking Laura Beth about it on the way out, and she's like, "No, we saw that one already. That's why it's familiar, you dickhead." <laughs> and yeah, it's it's in a way some films for me. I'm just saying for me uh, when they use that kind of very dark black and white palette that's 20 minutes long. I I struggle a little bit in a theatrical setting. Hmm. to kind of maintain like focus on it so i think both times i kind of maybe drifted out uh, i'd probably be fine if i saw it on tv like i could probably sit through it and pay attention to it hmm. a little better and also what kind of didn't help is uh the cinema uh chapter mm-hmm. like if you look up it's like the night sky yeah there are these little lights and i <laughs> i think i kept like, looking up going "Ooh, look at the Little light bulb constantly, yeah. like a five-year-old. <laughs> Shiny things. Make a wish. I'm there. <laughs> oh, excellent! I, I quite enjoyed it. It was it was too long, but I really indulged in the the style. It was very well drawn, and I'm a sucker for for atmosphere. Uh, when it's when a film so simplistic has to just use uh, a charcoal in this term a, a charcoal effect. It had so much atmosphere, like the the clouds, um, you know, doppling on the on the on the hills, and you felt the chill uh, as you watched it, and the weight of the whole place. It's, it's ironic; it came after a, a film called Atmosphere, but it had more atmosphere. But uh, I I really rated it. I I thought it was it was excellent um, to see on the on the big screen as well. Did you see Whiteout as well? The one with the polar bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the the first one, wasn't it? Um, that was an that was an odd one, wasn't it? Yeah, they all. I mean, they all looked nice, mm. and I think that they'll they'll all look great on showreels and things like that. And I find that I mean, let's be very candid. There are certain festivals that we go to that the films in the uh, competition section are not only bereft of story, or their stories are facile and adolescent, but they're visually f-ing horseshit. Mm. It makes it very easy to pick. The good ones, if one is going to a festival with an eye for interviewing people and that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm not, when I keep sort of going on about the visuals over story, I'm not like really laying into the selection that the visuals are nice 
is a big plus. Yeah. Being an animator, I think that, you know, even if you're not necessarily engaged with the story, you can engage with it on a much more technical level. Mm -hmm. And some of my favorite films have no story, really. But when they're so nicely done, that doesn't really even matter. So, yeah. So I, I, I agree. It was an odd film. I wasn't entirely sure if I got the ending. I hope it wasn't. Did you get the impression that it was all a dream? Yeah, it went. It kind of went for that, but a dream where the guy woke up and went, "Oh, better stop being a d- to polar bears." Like maybe, maybe more of a contemplation than a dream in a short film. Oh, you mentioned something about the Peter Lord talk. Hmm. Pythagoras was it censored? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of swear words in it, and so it had. Uh, oh, was there? Okay. Yeah, I think he said sh- oh, he sh- says shit off, uh, and and, oh, and in yeah. the end they go okay, they learn yeah. about maths and shit, and it was censored just how you've just censored me saying the word shit. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was that was sense. That was a good talk. I was called to announce Peter Lord because no one had ever heard of him, Ben. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, a really good, a really good uh, talk. Um, and there was a Q and A afterwards. When uh, when Peter started his talk, he was he was given a, a table, a chair, and the table had a big red lamp on it. And if you go on our Facebook page, I've uploaded some pictures on the Squiggly Facebook page, and uh, you'll see the picture of, of Peter talking, or on the article, um, uh, and he's there with the lamp. And there's this young lad in the front row. This little lad must have been between four and five. Uh, he was bouncing up and down. And we thought it would be cute to let him ask a question. Uh, and his question was, what's that red thing? <laughs> so he was asking what, what the lamp was. That lamp looking thing? Yeah. Was he thrown that it was red? <laughs> the thing with the light coming off of it. The thing coming off with the, the light coming off of it. What is it? But... Uh, Peter Lord, to his credit, answered him. <laughs> but then he, he started to, to explain how he could animate the lamp. And he was doing the move it, take a picture, move it, take a picture. <laughs> but then the kid just was bored. The kid was like, all he wanted to know was, was if it, what was the lamp. Um, but yeah, it was, that was a good laugh. One, uh, one thing I will say, though, Ben, as we were sat through the Joanna Quinn talk, could you hear that absolutely obnoxious <laughs> behind us? There was someone, was it a woman? There was a man and a woman sat behind us near the back. Um, uh, I heard the woman, I didn't hear a guy. Oh, you're lucky. Um, what was he doing? He was just clearly trying to chat up this woman. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and there was a part where Joanna said um, to, the, to the audience, Oh, have we got time to see another film? And everyone went, yeah! And the guy went, no, on his own behind. And then you heard him go, oh, I've got a train to catch. And we only heard him. Me and, uh, me and my partner. Are you part- sure that wasn't me? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we had to scarper out there. Well, you, you actually had a train to catch. This guy was just, just you know. He, he, uh, he, was, he was a bon mot to impress his lady friend. Yeah, but the, the, sh- the show Britannia. And he turned around and she must have been Spanish or something. And he turned around to her and went, well, huh, there's nothing like Spanish imperialism. And she went, oh, no, British imperialism. No, no, Spanish imperialism. They've killed a million thousand people. Shut the f*** up. We're trying, to, <laughs> we're trying to watch Joanna Quinn. She's talking, not you. I don't want a f***ing lecture behind me when I've, got, I've come to watch an animator. And I, I, I don't know whether or not he was an animator or if he was one of the live-action film crowd. But regardless, if you come to see a talk, shut up and watch the talk. I uh, I remember um, with some fondness a, a few encounters ago when they were doing the animation screenings in the Arnolfini. There was some presentation, I, f- I forget exactly what it was, but um, in the row behind us, 
There was about five or six students, German kids, presumably from a German animation degree or something. They were, you know, like 19-year-old boys having fun, except we're indoors trying to watch this presentation. Uh, and two seats away from me is David Sproxton. I got to the point where David Sproxton had enough, and David Sproxton just turns around and goes, shh, it was a proper headmaster in assembly. <laughs> and I, I hope that they knew, they recognized him. Because they, well, they immediately shut up and were like sort of hangdog throughout the whole rest of the the <laughs> evening. But that was a wonderful moment. Like David Sproxton, it is, is, you know, glory gave them a good old fashioned British shushing. <laughs> <laughs> one of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, cringy cinema moments was um, uh, at the at Bradford Animation Festival uh, in 2003, I believe it was, when Bill Plimpton came to uh to, to give a talk and uh i was there with with an, an old lecturer and she was very enthusiastic about turning the bradford animation festival into the annecy animation festival which she'd been to previously so she made a paper airplane and said we need to make paper airplanes and throw them onto the stage and she was the only one doing it and mm. the second one she threw <laughs> nearly blinded bill plimpton <laughs> it went it went and kind of you could see it swerving around and then it kind of did this bizarre twist in the air and then went straight and he <laughs> straight into his eye from the left-hand side. <laughs> yeah. Cinema etiquette, eh? Yeah. I love it when people just don't quite get the tradition. <laughs> like, I always, I always err on the side of, like, I very rarely, like, do any of that stuff. Mm. I may have thrown in a paper airplane or two in my, in my, you know, rebellious youth, you know, three years ago. <laughs> But yeah, the people who would like, because I guess like if you got the the paper airplane on the stage, people cheer. Yeah, in honesty. I remember one guy like he got the paper airplane and it like didn't actually get onto the stage itself, but it cleared the audience and someone I guess thought that that was the cue to cheer. So this dumb pr- goes, whoa! <laughs> oh, just uh, just stretching <laughs> legs. Oh, all that to look forward to. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that was great fun. Um, kind of, and uh, as I gave away earlier, the winner of the um, the main prize, the main jury prize, was Connor Whalen for his film Snowfall. Mm-hmm. Now, Snowfall, I'm pretty sure we've talked about before. We've definitely um, written about it. It's a really nice film. Again, very sort of strong visually, fantastic sequences of very sort of fluid character animation. It's more a moment, I guess, than a story. Mm. And that, that in a sense, is, is just as satisfying to see if captured well enough in a short film. And certainly, I, I'm sure, a relatable moment. Anyone who's ever been to a gathering and you have your eye on someone. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this film. Same here. Score very highly for me. I don't know how much I can say I was on the, I was on the jury, but yes, I voted for it. It was, you know, um, mm. I'm very pleased to see it win. It would be quite awkward if you were the one who voted against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, as we watch animation, it's very easy to see when things have... Uh, we've seen it before. We've seen this before. We've seen that before. It's very easy to pick out those moments. But I don't think I've I've seen a moment like that translated so well. The euphoria of, of and, and the possibilities of, of, of what might happen uh, with, a, with a, an individual you're attracted to at a party... And that dreamy kind of floaty uh, style that um, Connor uh, employs throughout is uh, its just a really nicely done film. 
And then he just, the guy goes and has chips. Chips make everything better. Oh, yes. I think is the main lesson we can learn from this film. Mm-hmm. You'd see it occasionally, like, captured very well in television and films, but it's very hard to convey that sort of moment effectively without something like animation. Hmm. You can film it and you can have, you know, emotive music playing in the background, but that sort of inner feeling is, you know, really, really hard to convey exactly, you know, what the person is sort of going through. I think that a real strength of certain animated documentaries or documentaries that use animation to embellish what someone is saying rather than just being a talking head. There have been some documentaries that really sort of effectively do that, and they wouldn't have been able to do that if they didn't have a very well-animated component to it. Mm. It's a great example of something to show someone who has that kind of bullheaded attitude of animation is Saturday morning cartoons. You know, you could show them Snowfall and they'd have to eat their head a little bit, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, he certainly, is, he's, he's got a, he's a really good design style, Connor. Um, did you see the uh, ICAD Awards uh, sting that he made? I remember, I think it was sent to us on Squiggly Self Promotions, or it's been sent to us at, so, at some point. And it's it's a sting for, a, for an award ceremony, one presumes. Um, and uh, Connor... Uh, you know, design the whole thing, and it's 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 like a entomologist, and he goes through these jars of insects, and there's uh and it says the producer, the creative, the accountant, the you know, and so the creative's a butterfly, you know, the sound engineer's a bug that makes a load of noise, and it's it's a real nice kind of concept. Mm, yeah, uh, I'm watching it now. It's uh, very nicely done. I like the um the way it's put together, the compositing and the Beakers and stuff. Nice. Yeah, I don't think he's a fan of creative directors. You'll see when you get to that particular point, Ben. Ah, yes. <laughs> hmm. Something went awry. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, a nice piece of work. It's a gentle, gentle ecology being represented, you know. Yeah. The world needs its creative directors. <laughs> sift through the mulch. Yeah. So yes, Connor Whalen, who we uh, were just talking about, is uh, this episode's guest. Uh, Laura Beth chatted with him a few months ago. So with him having uh, won at the Cardiff Animation Strand of the Independent Film Festival, what better excuse to hear from the director himself? Here's Connor Whalen, director of Snowfall. So to begin with, can you tell our readers a bit about who you are, your animation background, and what you're currently working on? Yeah, my name is Connor Whelan. I studied visual communication here in Dublin, in Ireland. Um, I kind of got into animation and towards the end of my course. We did a little bit of motion graphics and I kind of chose to do my final project as a motion graphic project. It was like a Jumanji and title sequence, which looking back on it now is terrible, but it was really like it was really good at the time. Graduated in 2012 and started getting more into narrative animation and I made my Snowfall would be my first short film but I've made a couple of very very short things before that little vignettes or whatever so now I'm working mostly in advertising and doing kind of animation for commercials that's kind of my my day job and then kind of use that to fund my personal work which would be things I'm really passionate about like short films and more character driven animation so at the moment I'm working on a new short it's not really anything spectacular in terms of storytelling but it's more just an opportunity to kind of try out 
a new visual style for me. I was kind of after working on one project for so long, I find I like I really want to experiment a bit with different visual styles. So this new short that I'm working on now is kind of an opportunity to do that. Excellent. So talking about Snowfall, how did that film come about? Like, what made you want to make that film? I kind of think because I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing lots of little things. I kind of wanted to spend a long time working on something a little bit more substantial. So I decided a short film would be the right way to do that. And that the kind of idea for Snowfall had been kind of bouncing around my head for a year or two anyway. So I kind of thought that would be a good, good story to do. It was kind of inspired by time in Amsterdam when I was doing an internship when I finished college because the city was just absolutely beautiful and I met amazing people there and uh, yeah so I decided to just go ahead and work on a short film so I was doing that in my free time so evenings and weekends which kind of dragged it out a little longer than the ideal but I kind of feel once you've got like you've got about two months work into it it's too late to turn back you kind of have to keep on going and that in itself is a really good thing because it's kind of a self-motivating project you know Mm. Yeah, it took about, about a year, I'd say, maybe a little bit more from like, initial sketches to finish render. So you said you got inspired whilst you were in Amsterdam. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, I was in Amsterdam for uh, four months, maybe five months, uh, doing an internship with the motion design studio called Addict. And uh, yeah, I just fell in love with the city. I think it's like a really beautiful city it's really intimate particularly like when it snows and just from like the experiences i had there it was kind of one of my first times living away from home and it was i don't know it was a really important time for me in my life and uh yeah i kind of met lots of amazing people and they kind of inspired the film like the i went to so many house parties like the house party in in the film mm-hmm. um so yeah, it was kind of a culmination of all of those things that kind of inspired the story that kind of inspired me to make it well, there are some truly wonderful moments of animation in the film. Can you tell me a bit about how you draw references and inspirations from other visual mediums to get those moments in your film? Firstly, thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think like I've always, one of my main uh, motivations for doing the film was I knew from the beginning I wanted to do a really a long shot, long cut, which is kind of towards the second half of the of the film, the kind of floating scene. Mm. That was like the whole sole reason I wanted to make it basically for, the, for that one moment. Um, and I'm really inspired by so many amazing long shots that in films, like particularly Quentin Tarantino long shots where the camera just flies all over the place and there's no, like it seems to have no physical break whatsoever. So obviously in animation you can get away with a lot more of that as well. So I kind of felt it was a nice... Um, combination of the two it seemed like a good match animation and long shots mm. it sort of reminded me of that scene in big fish when he sees like his future wife and he's like pushing the popcorn out yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally actually yeah i love that yeah it's a lovely yeah scene. that definitely inspired it actually in some way yeah and the popcorn just falls i love those kind of timeless moments when everything stands still in mm. movies i don't know they're really powerful to me and they're really uh, they're really i think they're really evocative they really um convey emotion in a be simple but powerful way so that's yes, yeah combination of all those sorts of films and maybe you want to do that <laughs> so your work generally like your commercial works more in motion graphics how do you feel that affects your film style and the way you structure your films i think particularly having come from a visual communication background from that sort of education i think i approach things more graphically maybe in terms of composition and 
particularly in snowfall, there's a lot of graphic compositions and using kind of vignettes and apertures and stuff to, to crop the frame in different ways, in particular ways. I think maybe studying visual communication gave me an appreciation for like white space, blank space, and like negative space. So I do use that a lot in my animation. Like in even in this new one I'm working on now, I think it's really interesting to have like the majority of the frame empty and maybe one small interesting thing going on in one particular area of the frame. I think it draws more attention to it than say if it was full frame. Mm. So I guess yeah, like motion graphics. Like in Snowfall, I guess like the motion graphics would kind of be floaty bits of him that are flying around the place. I mean, that's quite a motion graphic technique. But I've kind of rendered it in a traditional animation way. So I guess that sort of movement and the easing in and out and stuff would be a, a motion graphics technique, I guess. I don't know, I tried, like I didn't want it to be a motion graphics piece, you know. I kind of wanted to practice more traditional animation stuff and... I guess there is uh, an influence on the two, I'm sure. I think you have you have a very strong eye for design anyway. Um, how do you feel that's like developed during your career to this point? Uh, I, think, I think it's probably, again, just learning that less is more mm. sometimes in those situations. Like, I think it goes back to what I was saying, like, the temptation would be but the most important thing front and center in frame. But I find like when I'm looking at animation and I see small details, I kind of appreciate them more because it feels like I've found them or it's kind of you're giving your audience the benefit, benefit of the doubt. You're kind of allowing them to find out the details for themselves. And I think like something that I've always been like attracted to in animation, but I've only really recently realized is I really love hard graphical elements, but with realistic optical things like like realistic light and shadows and uh, depth of field and stuff like that's something I've only kind of acknowledged recently but I guess it's something I've always been kind of attracted to and drawn to like I'm he's a good example of that um Kevin Dart he like he does amazing stuff like that and it's kind of from seeing his work I kind of realized oh, yeah that's actually what I really like I couldn't put my finger on it for ages like what do I love about it so much but I think that's what it is because the the design elements themselves are really flat and really graphic, but then it puts us a depth of field on it and and there, uh, like lighting, volumetric light and shadow, and it just brings it, like it makes it something new, makes it something, makes it beyond flat graphics, but it's not quite photoreal. It's, no, it's a really nice combination of the two. Hmm. So I think that's what I'm going to try experiment a bit more with and see where it takes me. I was having a look through some of your other work as well, and a couple of pieces that really stood out was um, your weekly walk project. Can you mm. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, again, that was just like to have a bit of fun with with short short projects because often if I'm if I'm starting to do a big project, I won't take that many risks because you're going to be working on it for so long. Risk might not pay off. Mm. So with weekly walks, I just set myself the goal of doing a new walk cycle every week. Firstly, just to get better at walk cycles and better at animating, but also just as an opportunity to try out stuff every week. That was really fun. I think I did it over four months, maybe, or three months. So it's just like mad characters every week. That was the goal. Was there a particular one you liked the most or you felt worked the best? I think my favourite one changes quite often. I think my favourite one might be the girl in the big pink dress with the big bum. Oh yeah, that one's, yeah, that or one's really well. Or I 
Observed. And I like the, I kind of like the postman. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it changes. Some of them I hate, but I won't tell you which ones. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that was really fun. So now I feel like when I do a walk cycle in After Effects or whatever, it's I could get into it really quick. Mm. I feel like I should do that with other things, like weekly facial expressions, but it doesn't really have the same assonance. Yeah. Yeah, because I'd love to get... Actually, do you ever see those... I think it's like the seven-second club or whatever, or maybe it's the 11 second club where every month they, they put up a like a dialogue clip and people just animate it and send it in. Oh yeah, I think I've seen vision. something like that. It's like a there's loop-de-loop as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's quite good because that's a bit... I always get stuck though whenever they, they, like the word they give you, I'm like, oh, I have no ideas. I know, like I feel like maybe you need like a, an idea beforehand and then somehow fit it in. Yeah. I don't know. But um, uh, that, that 11 second, I think it's called the 11 second, I can't remember. Where they gave like a bit of film dialogue or something, and then people interpret it in different ways and animate it in different ways. I'd love to do that. It's a good way of doing some dialogue because it's hard to pick a piece of dialogue when you yeah, exactly. try to make it easier for yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like to get someone to make a really tough piece for you. Experiencing <laughs> because yeah, I don't know. I don't have much experience with dialogue at all. Actually, so probably the next many to work on. Do you primarily work in After Effects or do you use other? Yeah, After Effects would be my main one. For Snowfall, I did all the, well, the majority of the animation in 3D paint. I thought It was so. all pumped in, in After Effects. And, like, yeah. I'm, most, I'm most comfortable in effects. How did you find TV paint? It's kind of difficult to find tutorials. And even the tutorials you do find feel like they were made in the 80s. But uh, any question I had, you can just put it on the forums. And there's, they're really responsive on the forums. It's a really small community. So basically, any question I had, they answered. It is a bit tough at the beginning. There is a bit of like a learning curve, but I only really want to use TV Paint for really basic stuff. So I don't really need to get in depth into like I don't know what half the buttons do, mm. but I kind of just use it for the basic frame by frame animation stuff, and then I take it into After Effects and do all the color and the, like the comping in there. So I, I think you can do all that stuff in TV Paint. It's just I'm not really sure how. I find TV paint's quite good for like a more painterly style or more fluent movement. Yeah, yeah. I find like I find TV paint so liberating after using like After Effects or 3D software because every it sounds like a cliche, but every frame is like a completely new, like it's a completely blank slate. So you're not kind of tied down to like moving anchor points and worrying about what the previous frame was and worrying what the next frame is because you just draw whatever you want. Mm. It's so like like. Uh, guy I work with recently described it as like music, like playing music because it's kind of you're doing it as you go and it's kind of intuitive and it's more fluid. I think maybe he was romanticizing it a little bit, but <laughs> I think it's uh, certainly like a nice change from, from the kind of technical aspects of say After Effects or 3D software. Mm. Oh, another film of yours that I liked is the one you did. Is it ICAD Awards? Oh yeah, yeah, the ICAD Awards. Yeah. Um, how did you come up with the like? etymology theme like the bug collecting theme yeah that was i did that with uh, the post-production company where i worked called piranha bar so worked with one of the directors there called richard cheney and i worked with a writer whose name i can't remember but it'll be on the credits of the, of the film yeah i kind of wanted to take the pace a little bit because i kind of think these award ceremonies are always kind of self-congratulatory and yes yeah, so i kind of just wanted to take the pace out of everyone including myself and including animators and mm. so kind of thought bugs were a really kind of fun way to do that because it'll let me to make some fun characters also there's so much 
variety in insect species and uh, what was it etymology or something? So I kind of thought that was fun and like to make the client a big slug and to make animators annoying little flies and stuff. It was just like really appealing, kind of fun idea. I wanted to mix the kind of 2D, 3D stuff as well. I thought that was kind of fun to do with the glass jars and everything. I just like the whole, I like the visual language of that. And actually, it's funny because I'm literally sitting outside the Natural History Museum in Dublin. <laughs> and they have all those things. Like, I actually came here when I was researching that project. They have those bugs and glass cases and like all the little handwritten scripted notes and stuff. I think it's really... Um, those are like my favourite things to go. Any museum that has like a insect wing, that's where I'll go. Yeah, yeah. Bristol has a really good... Um, good. I was, I was in the Bristol one, actually. I was in the... Uh, is it at the top of that big hill? By, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that project was really fun and it's really nice actually seeing it on the night because people like really enjoyed it at the awards night. Because I think everyone recognizes how silly these events, are, <laughs> silly these events are. But we we do that every year in Paranabar. We do the titles every year. So like, kind of an opportunity for us to show off our different styles or capabilities or whatever. So like, say for example, you're just gone director Richard Cheney he did like a more kind of cinematic live action piece they're quite different and it's an open brief every year so really fun really fun, fun job to, to work on it was very spot on I found it I found it really good <laughs> Thanks for I particularly like the producer yeah, yeah yeah was there any um sequence in Snowfall that you felt really pushed you technically or narratively yeah I definitely think that flying that loading long shot was like really challenging when I was it was one of those shots I left until the very end, and like for the whatever t- ten months before it, I was kind of thinking like, how the hell am I gonna make this shot? But I uh, and I ended up doing it like a previs in Cinema 40, so just to get the camera movement right, and I kind of put placeholders of where the people would be, like just the kind of preset mannequin templates or whatever, mm. and then from there I kind of took it into TV Paint and update the main character's animation and stuff so and then from there i took it into after effects and did all the comping and the particles and the lighting and stuff so i was kind of hold on all three kind of doing a whole pipeline by myself basically but uh yeah that was definitely really challenging but i feel like i'm really pleased with how it turned out and i kind of feel a lot more confident now when it comes to those sorts of shots and then in general the whole traditional animation thing I hadn't really done much before like I dabbled a little bit in Photoshop animation but this is like Snowfall was my first serious attempt at cell animation so there are definitely still shots in there that I would have worked on at the beginning that are a bit dodgy compared to say the shots I did at the end which like I had obviously learned a lot more over the 12 months so yeah I mean I learned loads from it but I think like I kind of set those goals before I started it yeah. Pretty pleased that I actually did learn stuff. I think it'd be boring to start a project where you know you're completely capable of every single shot. Yeah, I think it's one of those, it's either you either push you push yourself on bits that you think you need to push yourself on, don't you? Whether yeah, it be yeah. narrative or adding more characters or having more interaction or something to do with weight or mm. whatever. Because otherwise, you, yeah, unless you have a story you really want to tell and it doesn't matter how it comes out, you just need to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. I guess narratively, like. It was kind of tough to structure the whole thing and like what angle should I frame this shot at and I really enjoyed that process because I hadn't done that before like I said I hadn't really done a short film before it was real fun when I made, when I made the story where I made the animatic and then go through it and say which shots are essential to the story and which aren't 
and the ones that aren't, I just cut them, and then it's really liberating because you're kind of left with a condensed story that has just the most important elements to it. So that was a learning experience as well. I'm a big fan of like perfectly. I would consider Snowfall a perfectly rounded narrative, and I find. There are a lot of films that I feel sometimes pad out just because they have to or they feel yeah, like yeah. they need to and it's it's always really refreshing, especially at something like Encounters or film festivals in general, when it's a nice condensed storyline and they haven't just put in like long lingering shots because they don't that don't mean anything. Like Yeah, yeah. The mo the, you know, the long shot in yours obviously is to signify like the shift in what you thought was going on. Yeah. There's always the standout ones because they've sort it's it's people that have done a short film because they want to do a short film. They haven't done a short film because they don't have the budget to do a long film. Sure, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, it means, means a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, also, I think if I had, like, storyboarded out a seven-minute animation, I'd still be working on it. Like, I don't think I would have gotten it done. Um, Five minutes was just about enough. You said you were working on a, a new film. Are you able to tell us any more about it? Or is it all under? Yeah, I mean, it's just a bit of fun. Like, it's not... I'm not, I don't think I'm going to submit it to festivals or anything because I'm using a copyrighted track, right. 60s or something. It's just a bit of fun. It's, uh, although actually, I've said that, but now it's actually about a serious thing. It's about a woman who's like in an abusive relationship, but it's kind of full fictiony. It's not not a drama, you know. It's more kind of a thriller, I guess. Yeah, it's will be set in LA, and yeah, it's just a bit of fun, really. Stylistic experimentation, I guess. You have a couple of films that are kind of set in that kind of like Hollywood high class. Yeah, I'm really attracted to that. I'm really like I really like uh, really drawn to like cliche and tropes in in films and stuff. And sometimes I'll deliberately make a trope shot like uh, as a reference to Hollywood films and stuff. I, no, I really I really like that. Probably grow out of it, but now it's very appealing to me. The kind of fake, like glamorous. 60s when everything looking at advertisements or whatever you think that everything was perfect there was so much wrong there's people had so many problems there's definitely a lot of visual stuff in that kind of era that's really iconic and easy to work with but, mm. you know you can give lots of different meanings to it you can even just be like kitchen tacky or you can be like it's kitchen tacky but there's dark undertones and yeah yeah you know it's, it's an interesting yeah, I love it. area i'd love to do um Something I'll do eventually would be like a nuclear safety video. That's the dream. I just think that'd be so good to see. Like even watching them now, there's so many of them on YouTube and they're gas, like they're so funny. You'd swear that they're tongue in cheek, but they're really genuine at the time. It's like run and duck for cover and <laughs> There's hey, always Jane. my favourite ones. Like if you hide under your desk, you won't lose all your hair and die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's so like, it's like, almost like Bioshock. Have you played Bioshock? No. It's a game, but they, they do all that stuff, like really tongue-in-cheek pitch, like warnings about extreme depth, like you get new weapons and they're like, incinerate your enemies in a single stroke. Like, it's, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, I love that stuff. That was Connor Whalen, director of Snowfall, speaking with squiggly writer Laura Beth Cowley. Many thanks to Connor for taking the time, and you can see and learn more about his work at com. That includes the in-progress film he mentioned, which is now online. It's called My Darling's Shadow, and it's great stuff. So yes, with Cardiff and Stuttgart behind us, no reason to be too morose. Annecy is very nearly upon us. It's not much longer than a month. Oh God, is it a month? And we will be there, sunning ourselves, should it be sunny. And... uh Hiding in a pub drinking, should it be otherwise? Yeah. Win-win, really. 
So the Annecy uh, official selection has been announced in uh, sections, and I believe now we've pretty much got the major events and screenings uh, announced. Certainly all of the films competing in the official selection, which I believe sort of concluded with the announcement of the features, Mm. which looks very encouraging. This hasn't always been the the jewel in the Annecy crown to be diplomatic. I mean, I, we, we were there three years ago. It was actually a very poor turnout, I felt, as far as the feature films went, especially considering they had it such a beautiful day playing, but out of competition. Yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't that any of them were like super atrocious, but there was nothing really to write home about. It just sort of felt like, here's a film that this territory made. Here's a film that this country made. I can remember some of them, but I can't remember any elements of the ones that we'd seen that were that strong. And the year after, there were a couple of good ones, and I wasn't there last year. This year, however, looks pretty interesting. I think there are at least four of the films that have been announced, the nine films uh, that are going to be competing that I'd, I'd be quite keen on seeing, I think from the look of them. Yeah. Well, as well as the ones that uh, you put together in, in the article, there are going to be the, the big ones that everyone's going to be very excited about, such as uh, Finding Dory and The, the Secret yeah. Life of Pets. But uh, I'm particularly intrigued by The Red Turtle. They released some images of that. And I'm a big uh, Michael Dudot Dewitt fan, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. I mean, some of them I can tell aren't going to be my cup of tea necessarily, but I would say that some of them are probably going to be clearly steered for younger audiences. Mm. I think the Russian film, The Sheep and Wolves, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. It, may, it may be funny. I don't know. I've only found a foreign language trailer for it, so I don't know what the dialogue is like. And uh, Snow Time, I, I feel, is probably more geared toward kids. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm really keen on seeing uh, the Claude Barris film, My Life as a Zucchini or My Life as a Courgette. Yes. Yeah. That one looks, I mean, just the puppets and that one, I could just, you know watch you know again it sort of goes back to like you know some films it doesn't actually matter you know we actually we me and laura beth when we were at Annecy two years ago we sat through max and co in french with no subtitles mm. it was great and like we could sort of piece together what was going on but just to to watch just wonderful wonderful animation max and co is this film that really just didn't make it to england a lot went into it and then I, I don't think you can even buy an import DVD that has English subtitles. It's a real shame. What was it the most expensive European stop motion animation made at the time? So you would think that. Yeah. <laughs> why not spend <laughs> some money on distribution? Yeah. With the streaming platforms that are available, Amazon and Netflix. I mean, I know it's not that you make a phone call and your film is on Netflix, but I do find it a little hard to believe that, you know, a film that so much effort has gone into there wouldn't be some leverage and at least, you know, something that could help get it on to a wider audience, even if it is with subtitles, which frankly, I think I'd I'd prefer. Mm. Because not to be like a film snob, but even dubbed animation feels very inauthentic. Mm. Did you ever see the dubbed Persepolis? Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have seen the, the dubbed Persepolis. Compared to in the original language... It was very awkward and stilted. I think there was like Sean Penn and you know, they're just like sort of arbitrarily sticking people in mm. to do the voices of the film. That like foosball film that's been going around for years with, you know, it's had like 8 billion different titles <laughs> and a whole bunch of different like casts, you know, depending on wherever it's it's gone to. And that was a film that never seemed to sort of find purchase, but I did notice that that one made it onto Netflix mm. eventually. 
the unbeatables or yeah it's something along those lines so it was great that we because we had wanted to see max and co for a, a while so we we were perfectly happy to settle with the french screening of it mm-hmm. one day maybe we can see it in english and get more of the story yeah that's the other great thing about annecy they do these like open air screenings and things like that so even for people who aren't like accredited they can hang out in the park or go up the hill or whatever and just watch some animation in the evening free animation it's great the uh there's a similar we could talk about bad distribution when we spoke to sam in uh in an earlier podcast from possesso he's a he's a somebody who's experienced major issues and he's very candid in his interview about uh his producer who kind of kept possesso to himself really and didn't really give it any distribution so it is and that was i think that was screened at annecy as well so if you are at annecy it is a good idea to go and see these things because it could be the last time that you see them. Other films that I think look really interesting are this uh, Psychonautus, Forgotten Children. A little touch of Jack Skellington to the main character. Yeah. But something for kids probably, but be nice and dark, like a never-ending story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Did you did you see uh, Bird Boy when it was at Annecy? No, I did. This, this was a short film, was it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's based no. on the, the short film Bird Boy, but it looks like they've really ramped it up to, obviously, they've taken it from the short to this epic rather epic looking feature uh but I, I i keep forgetting that he looks like a bird and to me it just looks like um do you know corporate school by jamie smart oh yeah he looks he looks just like corporate uh corporate school to me uh, yeah i can see that once you see it you can't unsee <laughs> it uh but yeah that, that looks very very epic and exciting and i'm excited for that particular one uh nfb film window horses it's kind of um from what I've read about it, it's a bit like uh, The Prophet, a film with a main narrative that then goes off into these animated poems. Ah. So really very similar to The Prophet in a sense. I, I assume a very different tone to, as far as the main story is concerned mm. from what I've seen from the trailer. I think you and I weren't as keen on the actual story of The Prophet when weighed up against the strength of the animated vignettes by the people who were brought on board, like Tom Moran. Nina Paley and Bill Plimpton et al. This has done a similar thing. Like it's got, I, I think, I would assume mostly Canadian animators, it being an NFB film. So Janet Perlman contributes to it mm-hmm. and Kevin Langdale. And it's nice to sort of see the NFB, you know, it already had quite a few films in competition. So it's nice to kind of have a feature film as a kappa. Mm-hmm. And the branding of this year's Annecy is by Michelle Lemieux, who is a NFB artist who um, I have some wonderful footage of that I haven't actually been able to use for quite a long time now from one of my visits to the NFB. And uh, the NFB are always very good about like keeping us up to speed with when new films are coming out. So eventually when Michelle Lemieux's film comes out, I'll be able to put up some of this footage because she uses one of, I do believe it's actually the only functional pin screen and the NFB have it in their studio. Yeah. And the pin screen, I guess, to people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, if you can remember those sort of novelty office gag gifts that some people had in like the 80s and early 90s, it's like a bunch of pins that you put your hand on one side and you tip it up and it makes the shape of your hand, but in pin form. You do your hand with it immediately, but the more adventurous would do their face. Yes, their face. <laughs> <laughs> I remember they used one for, like, the opening credits of the Ruth Rendell mysteries, because apparently in the 80s, I was 80. (laughs) So uh, the pin screen 
that is being used for, you know, films and animation is basically a giant one of these with these tiny pins, thousands of them, that are all kind of manipulated and brushed into shapes to create shadows and things like that. It's really quite an astounding thing to see in action. And it's a form, I guess, of stop motion, but it combines, I'm sure, some of the principles of on-glass animation or dealing with the the inherent unreliability of sand or salt or whatever. It actually looks like a, a sand animation but or a, hmm. something of that ilk, but when you understand the process behind it, yeah, it takes on a different a different level of appreciation. Hmm. And it also it, it looks more precise than sand, I think. So I, I, I suppose the, there is that edge to it. Yeah, because the pins are sort of held in place. Mm-hmm. So there's perhaps a little more margin for error. But I believe that it uses a lot of the same approaches as far as it being more straight-ahead animation and, you know, approaching the movement in a very sand animation way or, you know, oil on glass or, you know, anything like that. So, yeah, very interesting device. And uh, one of these days we'll... we'll uh, See it in action. There is footage of, of Michelle Lemieux online, if people are interested. It's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. It should probably like show off what I'm trying to describe a little better. Anyway, yes, yeah, she did the um, the main uh, poster design for this year's Annecy. And uh, I believe she will be there. Ah. I don't think she has a film playing as such, but I think she's doing signings and that kind of thing. Ah, good, good. So. I like the look of Nuts. Oh, yeah, the documentary. The documentary looks really good, doesn't it? Well, uh, the opening shot of the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a Ben film. <laughs> yeah. And this, I think, also, kind of what I was just saying about the way animation can be used in documentaries. Mm-hmm. I, again, it's, you can't really tell from the trailer, but I, I think that from the reception it's had so far, I would expect that the animation is used very effectively. Mm-hmm. To you know, convey some of the, uh, the concepts. That's uh, directed by Penny Lane who has parents that are either or uh, massive Beatle fans and very cruel. So lots to look forward to at this year's Annecy, and as we wrap up this episode, it's worth mentioning that in the more immediate future, this Friday, May 6th, is the first of our latest This Is Not A Cartoon screenings. It'll be at the Science Centre in Stoke-on-Trent at 6.30pm, and then at the Derby Quad on Sunday 8th at 3.45pm. Both screenings will feature a Q&A with special guest Trianne Evans, director of the wonderful NFTS grad film Fulfillment. And you'll also be able to catch the same screening on Wednesday, May 18th at Home in Manchester, featuring a Q&A with Rory Wardby-Tolly, director of the RCA film Mr. Medea. For more info, including the full film list, visit thisisnotacartoon.com. Elsewhere, the next stops for my film Clementhrill, both take place on May 13th in Switzerland as part of the ongoing Short Film Nights Tour. The program kicks off at 8.45pm at the Cult Kino Atelier in Basel and at 9.15pm at the Kino Apollo in Cor. More info at kurtzfilmnacht.ch And with that we bid you a fond adieu. Until next time, happy animating.